Hello and welcome to the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris and I'm joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host Tom. Hello. And uh, we've just watched uh, the 1954 Fellini film La Strada. That's right. I think it's like the fifth of his films we've watched so yeah. far. Yeah, and I, was the last one Juliet of the Spirits, yeah, I want to say? I, I can't remember, maybe... Yeah. Or Eight and a Half, maybe? Maybe Eight and a Half. Yeah. Anyway. A few. We've... We're familiar is the point. Exactly. So... But is this, this is very early on in his career. Yeah, I was just looking that up. It's like number five or so in his filmography, so... Yeah. And I suppose it's hailed as his... The start of his... The, I mean, the start of his style. I mean, the, the breakout kind of... Yeah, well, I, I mean, God, I've got a... Yeah, before that we've got like Variety Lights, The White Sheik. Oh God, yeah, we, we we're, we're The White Sheik. Ivitaloni, yeah. uh, and then, yeah, La Strada and things. So, but it is one, I think in that regard, where it's you really start to see the hallmarks that then appear in every other Fellini film. Like it's, it's hitting what would become his tropes, yeah. I guess. Where you, you watch one of his films and you say, this is Fellini. Yes, exactly, yeah. Which uh, I guess you could attribute that to... Uh, I think Martin Scorsese says it best when it's a circus. Yes, you know? oh, very much. Like, yeah, his carnival kind of nature of it all. It's like a um, almost surreal, cartoonish mm. look on, on reality. Yeah, he's, he's like following on from the neorealism movement of the 50s in Italian cinema and then adding surrealism to the neorealism, which is kind of interesting and wonderful and kind of creates its own style and type of filmmaking, I guess. Very jazzy. Yeah. Well, should we do a plot synopsis? Sure. Should we do the plot synopsis? Sure. Okay. Well, uh, Zampino? Zampono. Zampano. Zampano. I'll start that again. (laughs) Uh, Zampano is a, a, I mean, I'm going to say amateur circus man who likes to travel around in his, on his motorcycle and do shows for crowds of people in public. Uh-huh. Um, and he's famous for his uh, lungs of, of iron, iron lungs, uh-huh. uh, breaking, a, breaking a chain over his chest. Uh, and he pays 10,000 lira, I think it was lira in uh-huh. the currency, uh, to have Gelsomina, uh, a young lady, accompany him and be his... Well, somewhat protege, but assistant, kind of slavey yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, it's great because um, Zampano is a bit of a brutish man uh-huh. uh, and does have the tendency to be a bit of a slave driver too throughout the film. Uh-huh. Uh, and it carries through them travelling across country, uh, meeting up with a whole bunch of folks, uh, in particular Il Mato, or The Fool. The Fool! Played by uh, Richard Basehart. And, uh, I mean, the title, The Road. Yes. The start of The Road. Uh, it's a story about life and all of its twists and turns and problems and The roads that we travel and... on and what we experience, yeah. That's right. That's right. So, there, there steps, sets the stage. Mm. It is a great, great film. It I is think. a great film. Yeah. This is, um, I'd seen this before a couple of times. It's one of my... F- uh, more f- enjoyable Fellinis, I think, or one of my more go-to Fellinis, I think. I, I yeah. really enjoy this one, um, specifically because of, like we were saying, it. It's the kind of the establishing of all of the tropes you would know, get to know and love of Fellini films, 
and it's that little bit different. It's a different type of Fellini film in the sense that the, most of his stuff, while it kind of revels in the surrealism and like the, the circus, we were saying, yeah. it always has a kind of positive energy behind it or like kind of ending in a, isn't life grand? A, a grand? Isn't yeah. this this crazy, wonderful circus that we all call life? Mm. Whereas this one, he's taking a little bit of a different approach in that it's showing that even you can approach it with that, even if like you approach it with that wonderful, like, hey, isn't things grand we're doing on this wonderful adventure? It doesn't turn out great all the time. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's a bit more real than his usual films. Yeah, uh, yeah. It does not shy away from the sadness and, and corruption of the human spirit. Yeah, that's essentially what the film is about, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I always thought going into the film, I mean, you look at the you look at the poster, you, you look at uh, the, the DVD cover, and it's a picture of uh, Gelsomina, played by Giulietta Messino. Who is Fellini's wife. Who is Fellini's wife. She's amazing. And I always thought it was, she was the lead and it was going to be her story. Mm. Uh, and I guess the film does start with that as, as the main point, I suppose. Because you do, the opening sequence is... Her, the beginning of her story. Yeah, yeah. And, and essentially she is a conduit through because we don't know Zampana, we don't know this world that he exists in and we're experiencing this through her and kind of following her along on <laughs> this adventure. So you really do think that it is like she is our protagonist. That's right. But of course it's... Uh, I think the one of the most wonderful aspects of the film is... I mean, it really just gets to the end when it shifts, and you understand that this is this is a story of, of the story of Zampano. Yes, it is. He is the one that actually has the arc and has the realizations about life and everything. It's not as much as you love um, Jessamina, She's not. She doesn't change throughout the film, despite everything she has put through, and that's the heartbreaking realize. Like. She does change. Yeah, I mean, it's, now, it's, it's against, I guess, she becomes overwhelmed with sadness, I guess. I um, think th what's really great is that she is a character born from Fellini, and she is, the, I mean, all of her roles that she did up after this film, mm. in the Fellini films, um, all have that same playful, childlike wonder about her character, right? Yeah. And I think one of the most magical, uh, most magical parts of this movie is to watch a Fellini character come face to face with reality and have it break down. Mm. Um, some point though, because he's a brutish man, over time does break her. Yeah. And it is her, essentially, the, the realisation that, like, what have I got written down here? It's coming to terms with and accepting that life isn't always great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and because he eventually breaks the spirit of uh, Jessamina, Zampano then has the, because of that has the realization about himself mm -hmm. and that's where the kind of the film leaves us basically is the discussion on if you then become aware of your faults are you then able to accept and change that's right. and it kind of leaves us on that question there that's right it's beautiful <laughs> it's remarkable mm. uh, and there's also uh, Ilmato the fool's character which I think is a really fascinating um character to put in the story mm. is this triangle of of the childlike spirit the brutish man and the fool yes who works almost as a beautiful counterpoint to zampano's brutish behavior this is a guy who cannot take anything serious and refuses to even knowing that it will probably eventually get him killed that's right uh that's right ilmato 
I mean, when they, when you first meet him, there's obviously some beef between the fool and Zampano. And they never tell you why uh, there, there's a thing. The fool won't mention it. And when pressed, Zampano says, I don't talk about it. Yeah. I mean, and that's him kind of bottling up all his emotions and trying to not change at all. It, it's. I get the sense of it's... Like, I mean, obviously there are the little hints there that there is possibly something in the past, but... There's certainly something in the past. Yeah, but I, I'm more taken at a really base kind of commedia dell'arte level where you have the ultra-serious character and then, like, who takes everything super serious, Zampano, and then you counter that with the fool, someone who d- refuses, to t- refuses to take anything serious, and then you just let the two of them go. Mm. It's that kind of really theatrical, over-the-top kind of broad-stroke thing. Theatrical is perfect because, I mean, the fool, Ilmato, he plays a fool in the theatre, in mm. the sense of the cir- his, char- his circus character is the fool. Mm. But his personality behind that is he is a foolish man that pokes the bear despite any of the consequences. Yeah. And uh, I, I always, throughout the film, I always wondered, you know, where, where is this character going? But he's almost like a caricature uh, who's destined to die, you know? Mm. I mean, he, he, he dies, Zampano accidentally murders him by, uh, through assault. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of inevitable, it seemed. It's in that kind of, the- that movie trope yeah, in a sense. that's it. But the film, ha- because it's got that real aspect to it, it kind of blurs the line a bit. Mm. Um, that, that's like the surrealism seeping into the ne- neorealism there. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Taking these old theatrical tropes and infusing them into like the, what was happening in film at that time, like the hyper-realism, I guess, yeah. Hmm. You what ex- do you mean by that? Oh, like, I, I mean, I was just kind of reiterating what you had already said. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> what, were you expecting after, after Zampano and Jessamina leave the circus and they kind of continue off on their journey down the road, were you expecting the fool to come back? Yeah. Or, or, yeah, you expected that. You, you didn't no. expect it to that just was be like, my... he served his purpose in the sense of he's altered their lives and they've cha- changed their path at this point and they move, like that's yeah, all he's got. I expected him to come back because my, you know, part of my mind is like, I saw the movie poster and he's on it. Okay. So he's not just a side character. He's not just in it for this little half hour bit. But it did surprise me that they're going to kill him off uh, at the hand of Zampano. Mm. Uh to prove this point of, of the fool's fate is always to be completely destroyed. Mm. Um, like, I don't know, like, I, and it's a, it seems mysterious to me because even though the fool is a character throughout cinema and theatre and opera and whatever, uh, it's the, the idea that you can have the, of it, the fool is always fated to be destroyed. Yeah. Well, it's in their nature to kind of eventually their nature to destroy that. themselves. Yes. Yeah. I, I, it's mysterious in that. How do I apply that to uh, to reality mm. to like actual people? Because it's not as simple in re- in reality as like someone is not just a fool. Yeah, yeah the they're, they're people more are more than, complex than they're foolish at times. And yeah, which is why I brought up the commedia dell'arte, where it is just those broad stroke kind of mm-hmm. yeah stereotypes. But then aspect of humanity is what it is. It is. Mm. But that's what the film is exploring because you have three different sets of characters that are exploring, that, that are going down the road of life. Mm. 
Mm. I think that the, the road is like, it's on the nose, the title. But. Yeah, yeah um, yes and no. It, yes it and just, no. Yeah, it, it works so wonderfully, I think. Like, it's better than saying, like, life's journey or something like that. <laughs> like, you Let's know. Let's call it life. Yeah. Like, I mean, it is on the nose, but also, like... I don't mind. Yeah. Like, I don't mind. Yeah. That's fine. Anyway, mm. it doesn't even matter. Uh, what, were we saying? what were we saying? Mm-hmm. And we were on the fool and, on the fool. like, the broad stroke character stuff. The caricatures. Yeah. They're, they're simplistic. Apart from, I would say Zampano is kind of complex, but otherwise a lot of the characters are simplistic on purpose mm. to allow you to, to explore aspects of the human journey. Yeah. Zampano is an interesting one because he, for the first hour, I'd almost say, is very one note mm-hmm. like not as a negative thing but he is very oh i know who this person is and this this and this and then like to me that like the where it like really exemplifies that is when they stay the night in the nunnery and he's trying to steal their shit yeah <laughs> like you're just like oh yeah you are like through and through this person and it's only after like later once he sees the damage the emotional and psychological damage he's inflicted upon doesn't mean it that he you start to see that there's something deeper going on within him, and you, as an audience, start to hope that he can be redeemed. And then, through his actions, he's kind. Of, yeah. It's, well, well, one way to tell the story would be that uh, Zampano, if you look at him as like a locked chest that's not going to open up. Mm. Um, one way to tell the story would be, and this is an easier way to tell the story, and maybe like there's a lot less effort to do it this way, but have Gelsamina through her childlike wonder and, and innocence slowly tears it open through love, you know? Yeah, but yeah. But that's, that's not what... That's really not what happens mm. in, in reality most of the time, so... Yeah, and I mean, it just... Takes, it, takes a, it takes something brutal to break a brutal person. Mm. Um, and the film does such a wonderful... It is so good at exploring that. Uh, ah, losing my train of thought now. No, no, it's all good. Well, I was going to jump in there and say, like, Jessamina is such an interesting character because it, I was just thinking, it's through most of Fellini's films, you have one character in particular who just exemplifies love and passion. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily for a specific person, which, like, in this case, it's Jessamina, uh, just totally infatuated with Zampano, regardless of what he does, how he treats her, she is just like, well, this is what it is. This is what love is. Um, You kind of have those again throughout the rest of Fellini's filmography. There there seems to be at least one character who is infatuated and, like, puts on a pedestal a person or an object or an ideal, and it's it's a great little kind of running trope for his stuff. Well, it's no coincidence that he casts his own wife Mm. as... Typically, those that character. that character, yeah. Because in reality, his wife is that character, mm. despite their like very tumultuous <laughs> yeah. relationship and things. Yeah. But I always imagine—I mean, he's obviously gone now—but I always imagine that that guy is like a fiery personality that mm. is all over the place, manic. Mm. I, I'd heard very cheeky. Yeah. <laughs> Larger than life. Yeah, yeah. Like to play a lot of pranks and like mess with people and yeah. Deeply passionate person. Mm. Mm. So it's it's really wonderful, I think, seeing that this film so heavily concentrates on the idea of can you affect, alter, change, destroy, break that ultimate love that, through a character? And can can you 
change the unchangeable. Yeah, yeah. Through the character Zampano. Mm. And it, it's basically you spend the majority of the film thinking we're going to watch Jessamina go through a change and come to an understanding of what life is and she's going to have to change her notion of life and how she's living it from just a childlike innocence and wonder and just blindly loving and accepting to coming to terms with not everyone deserves love. Not everyone can be loved. You have to kind of learn to adjust and change to that. But then the film yeah. ends up kind of almost faking out like in an M. Night Shyamalan-esque <laughs> twist yeah. that it's... No, we're actually trying to... It, it's Zampano who is being tested. Well, it, that's right. I think it, the film's almost kind of mythological in its approach. The fool mm. has to die. Uh, the innocent woman has to love the yeah. brute. And that's and why... The brute has to be the brute. Mm. And that's why going back to the title, The Road, it works so well, I think, because it is that kind of mythological... They're going on a journey down the road. Yeah. They encounter set piece after set piece, and it is... It's like the Greek mythology. Yeah, and it is all of those Fellini tropes as well. You've got the seaside, you've got the carnival, the wedding, like you're hitting all of these things that are supposed to bring joy and wonder and magic, and you're just seeing how, despite all of that, it's still slowly, slowly crushing the joy and magic of Jessamina. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the driver of Zampano is... Uh, I mean, he, he he's obviously a creative person, mm. and, and he's driven to constantly do his show which is a creative process but it's it seems to be rooted in like just survival a lot of the time well that's yeah i don't know if i'd go so far as to call it a creative drive i think it's a he found something that he can do to make ends meet and that's what he's doing because if you notice he never changes his act mm. it's always True. the same spiel and to the point of he beats jessamina into doing no, you have to do it like this. Like, you can't add flair. You can't mix it up. You can't do anything different. It has to be... It's proven to work. We're not changing it. Exactly. Which Just is not... like his character. Exactly. Which is not artistic. It's you, you're playing it by the books. <laughs> and I suspect that's why the fool hates him. Mm. Because he is a creative spirit, constantly fooling around and, and trying to be original, let's say. Mm. And I'd always imagined that whatever, whatever started, it was something like the fool saying... You're just a one-trick pony and you yeah. don't actually care about the theatre. You've got nothing here. You're just doing it because you've found you can exploit your strength. You're just a bully. You're a bully. Yeah. <laughs> British, British man. Which is to not say... I kind of want to backpedal a little bit there. It's not to say that he's not a passionate person, but he's just... His passion lies in sort of a more negative aspects. Yeah, you don't really know... It, Zampano uh, looks out for Zampano. Oh, that's right. <laughs> it's alluding to some past traumas or whatever. I mean, there's a reason why he'd be so bottled up. Yeah, yeah. And you're just not aware of, of what it is. Mm. But that, I think the it, it's a kind of bittersweet, sad, but absolutely lovely that, that uh, Jocelyn can love a man like that and yeah. continue to love a man. Well, that's why I love Fellini films so much because, like, it, the way we're describing and talking about this film, it sounds really sad. It, it, what is? It is, but it's also so lovely at the same time. Yeah. Like, that's the joy and magic of Fellini is that he deals with such heavy, sad, emotional things but does it in such a wonderfully whimsical way. It, it's, it is, uh, like, yeah, it, it's... I think he's kind of spot on. I really like his approach to the philosophy to how lo what life is. Mm. And it is sadness, but it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and so there's kind of the two sides of, of the same coin. It's 
the, all of his films, this one especially, yeah. is always exploring that. So um, they have just a wonderful charm and you can connect so deeply with them. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a remarkable film. Yes, yeah, it's it's a really good one. Where would you rate rank this in terms of all the other Fellinis we've done? Quite highly. I I, I was thinking about that after I watched it, mm. and uh, you know we've seen six or whatever, mm. and we've seen eight and a half, and that's amazing. Armacord. Uh, Armacord, I think, is my favourite. Yep. Only I don't know. That was my first I ever saw. Yeah. And, and just struck a chord and yeah. Yeah. And uh, and I I just loved the the colours and the the techniques with the the camera and the lighting and just the flow. It's like so many things about it. But all, but all of his films have that as well. Mm. Uh, all the colour films. But yeah, the black and white as well. Everything yeah. is marvelous. Oh, I, I, like that's a good segue in here to talk about the cinematography. Then, like, mm-hmm. it's lush despite being black and white. Like yeah. he, the, his use of lighting and shadow is beautiful in this. Mm. Like yeah the. And it mixes tonally beautifully as well. Like, you go from these kind of very... Not average, but, like, a very standard kind of the... I go to, like, when they're performing at the wedding. Mm-hmm. And it's them and the group and it's everyone. And, like, you've got that, that kind of depth of focus stuff where you've got Zampano performing, but and then in the background you've got, like, the ring of people dancing and celebrating. It adds to the whole festivity, kind of festive nature, I should say, of what you normally expect from Fellini and then the kids take Jessamina inside to meet the invalid kid and it all of a sudden looks like a painting it's like beautiful soft lighting and spotlights and mm. the use of shadow and it's just, just like yeah so wonderfully balances between the two yeah this does a remarkable job especially when you're inside mm. uh, but I think I mean they, they shot in the mornings because you wanted to get uh, I guess like the starkness if they I mean if it's going to be a sad story on the road yeah then shoot in the morning so that there is a kind of coldness to it you don't want that warmth of the afternoon light yeah that's right mm. that's right uh, so yeah like yeah the cinematography really is spectacular um, well what, what's your how would you rank this one um, I probably put this at around like number two or three for me mm. um, well, what's number one I'm still, I think I'm with you, Armacord. I just really, really love Armacord. Um, Eight and a Half is uh, also a wonderful film. Um, and then, yeah, it's it, either, I'd probably, either this or um, um, Eight and a Half, or I also really love um, Nights of Kiberia. Mm. Like, yeah. Also starring Julieta Messina. Mm. And uh, randomly after watching La Strada, I've just been, I've had in my head, been reminiscing on Juliet of the Spirits. And it's not a great, like a masterpiece film, like on the same level as some of his other ones, but it's, it's an interesting character study and it's seeing them like just her in a whole different light doing something kind of same, but different, like later in their life, reflecting on their relationship and things. It's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, this is early on his career. So Mm. you go to eight and a half, which is at the end. Is that right? No, eight and a half is like smack bang in the middle. Oh, it's in the middle. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, there's, there's, there's a, a long time between, Let's say this one in Amakot was like 20 years or whatever. Yeah. And you can see the difference in, in uh, his, his mastery of film technique. But yes. But yeah, like we said, I think at the beginning, like this is where you can see everything kind of being established by this point. Yeah. It was like when we watched The White Sheik, because that wasn't that long ago, I think. Like it was, you know, a while back, but it 
you could see those like little kind of elements of Fellini because there was like the chasing down the film shooter and it was like the circus and the f- aspects there, but it just didn't quite have that Fellini touch that we know from things like Armacord Eight and a Half. You know, it's like watching Bottle Rocket. Yeah, with Anderson, you're like, this is proto. A little, little bit of it is Anderson, but that's a good way to put it. Like, yeah, the White Sheik is like Bottle Rocket, and La Strada is Rushmore. <laughs> Where you're just like, okay, yeah, you, you're honing it now. Like, you, it. you see everything. You've got Bill Murray in here now. <laughs> like, you're getting yeah, it all together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, what else we want to talk about? Uh, I suppose we'll talk about uh, Anthony Quinn as well. Ooh. Who he, he did such an amazing job. Uh, and he was doing two roles at the same time. He was working mornings on this film, and then Attila. Attila. Yeah, uh-huh. I've got I've got a little bit of info on that. Um, yeah, so early in the filming process, uh, Julieta Messina suffered a severe ankle sprain. Um, it was a massive setback for the production, um, and. So basically, the producers wanted to pull backing and things and just be like, nah, well, the movie's just done now. Well, the producer didn't want her originally. Yeah, well, that was it, and it just caused even... And she's like, well, now she's fucking hurt herself, so, like... Let's get her out of here. Let's get her out of but here. Then Paramount was like, having seen the the footage that they'd already got, she's, mm-hmm. they said, absolutely not, she's amazing. Yeah, and... Um, but then it was, like, a little bit of an issue because Anthony Quinn had already committed to star in the Attila the Hun film, mm. and so he decided to, like... He was just enjoying it so much that he's like, nope, screw it, we're going to do both, and so, yeah like you were saying he worked days and nights on both films simultaneously and brought home an amazing performance well i mean it's fucking hard work right and, and yeah he i mean it's it's always good in a way because zampano is a is like he's on the road he's, he's tired dusty, dirty <laughs> yeah well-traveled man yeah so the fact that he's looking so ragged <laughs> it kind of just helps add to it all shoots. that's right mm. um Yeah, it's so interesting, like, the fact that apparently um, Fellini met Anthony Quinn at, like, a a party because Julianne Messina was acting in a film with him currently at that time. Right. And Fellini was like, oh, I would love to have you in my new film, like, blah, blah, blah. And Anthony Quinn's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Who's this guy? Who's this guy? And then saw, which, I forget which one it was that he saw. Um, Oh, it was Eve Italani. Um, Yeah. E. Vitaloni, the film directly before this, Quinn managed to like see a print of that and was like, holy shit, okay, yeah, you're not just some rando dude at a party, you are actually an amazing artist and I want to work with you now. Mm. Which is awesome because this is the year after he'd just won Best Actor at the Academy Awards. Oh, right. So he was like hot shit at the time and was like, I'm going to go off to Italy and make this film with Fellini. you were Italian film. Yeah. Yeah, so you got... Anthony Quinn, who's English-speaking. Uh, Richard Basart, who's an Englishman. Yeah, well, they're... Um, uh, or English-speaking. Um, yeah, so Anthony Quinn, born in Mexico, but American. Uh, Richard Basart, also American. So he's actually casting two American leads, essentially. Yeah. Uh, which so, is funny, because there's a dubbed version. Yes. Uh, and they had to dub... <laughs> That's a dub. I always imagine like watching the film when it first came out. Yeah. And you're familiar at this point with Anthony Quinn especially. Yes. And his his voice is dubbed in English. And not like, by him. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, this is super weird. Which would be which would probably ruin the film for me. You, mm. know? you know, it's like it'll be too strange. It'd be like having Anthony Hopkins with such a rich or Jack Nicholson with such a rich voice that's so Jack Nicholson or Anthony Hopkins and then going overseas and having it redubbed, you're like, this is ridiculous. Who the fuck is this yeah. doing the voice? Yeah. Hmm. Spaghetti Western. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, precisely that. Yeah. 
But um, yeah, I think uh, like all the the three main performances across the board are just awesome, and it like Juliana Messina in particular, it is like this is her first like really big kind of starring role, and she knocks it out of the park, and it's like it's yeah. a testament to her performance, the fact that like you were just saying. The, the producers wanted to get rid of her, but the finances and the studio were like, what are you, what are you fucking insane? Like, she's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I considered the first 10 minutes to be a bit dry, and well, I'm kind of waiting for things to kick in. And yes. it was as soon as she became the assistant, and she mm-hmm. has this kind of Charlie Chaplin-esque... That's it, emotive, exactly. physical uh, she's tra- gestures. Play, playing with the hat and stuff, and yeah. I was like, wow, this... Yeah, she is remarkable. She manages to get across a soup... Because, like, when you first see her... She's a woman, she's, a, I think at this time, like 31, 32 years old. And you see her like still living with the family and the mother selling her off. And like, I have the thought of like, how old is she supposed to be? Like how, how much of a child is she actually? And then once she starts getting to that physicality of the role, you're like, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what she looks like. Like you get the idea of her innocence. Yeah, I guess I actually, I never, that, that thought never cropped up, I suppose. Um... Hmm. Like she's, yeah, she's definitely to be pretty young. Yeah, but, but and even though she doesn't necessarily look it, the way that she's playing it, she nails it. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's what won me over was was you know ten minutes into the film and she's doing this Chaplin esque stuff and I was just like, oh, yeah, this is delightful. And then I think it was like the after that they um, after the performance and things they her and Zampano go out for dinner. And then he gets drunk and invites, like, the other random girl to their table. And she's so welcoming and accommodating of it all. Like, not understanding, like, what the situation she's in. Mm. And, yeah. Oh, it's just so wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else? Well, I want to talk about the music. Oh, okay. Um, the Nina Rota score. Um, I was reading something where they're like, it is like so imperative like the combination of Fellini and the music that Rota does like it is hand in hand together it's so ideal for the the two of them and I think it works so beautifully in this you've got those kind of very whimsical and kind of melancholy love themes and then you've got the -the over-the-top bombastic circusy kind of joyous music Mm -hmm. it's so wonderful is this is the composer um working with Fellini throughout his whole career whole career whole career yeah. yeah They, they work together on pretty much everything. Okay. So, yeah. Although I did notice one thing. It was, it's like the big bombastic carnival score music. I was like, this sounds crazy familiar. Mm-hmm. Like, where do I know this from? And then it clicked. It's from Pee-wee's Big Adventure. What? What? Yeah. And I was just like, I ended up looking up being like, oh, so did they just use this Nina Rota music? It's like at the beginning, I don't know if you remember the beginning of Pee-wee's Big Adventure. It's like the Rue Goldberg breakfast, like him waking up machine. Mm. And it's the music from Lestrada, essentially. So I was like looking up being like, oh, is it just they license and use that? It's like, no, no, no. Rota wrote a new piece that's similar? or Danny Elfman. Oh, just copied. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, okay, I've, I've got them side by side here to, to see if you can yeah, go agree. So we're going to start with Lestrada and then we're going to go into Pee-wee's Big Adventure. That's close enough, right? That's so similar. So Danny Elfman, I'm calling you out. <laughs> you, you, you fraud. Well, Shadow one's better as well. Yeah, exactly. But I just, 
it was bugging me the whole fucking movie. I'm just like, where do I know this from? And then, yeah. That's such a weird pull that you would... You mean Danny Elfman's a hack? Danny Elfman's a hack fraud. fraud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like almost the same level as Hans Zimmer stealing the Badlands music huh. for True Romance. <laughs> you like change two or three notes and you're like, oh, God damn it. I can't believe you picked that up. Yeah, I'm an idiot. I'm a weirdo. <laughs> yeah, you who doesn't oh, know Pee Wee? <laughs> yeah. I love Pee Wee's Big Adventure. That's that's why. <laughs> it's a good kind of weird. It's, I like that kind of weird. Mm. But yeah, I mean, apart from, you know, the obvious Danny Elfman stealing, it's um, <laughs> it's a wonderful score, I think. Yeah. The carnivalesque nature of it is. Yeah. And then so going lively. in. And then how it transitions so wonderfully into the melancholy as well. Mm. It's great. Mm. Mm. And, oh, the script. Let's talk about the script. Okay. 600 pages long. Jesus Christ. How much of that is just like basically character development and discussion? It's actually, it, it's more like what Miyazaki does, you know, when, when he made Spirited Away, he does. I do not know any of this. Go there's on. no script for Spirited Away and it's just all storyboards. And he just spends hundreds, probably thousands and thousands of hours of putting together like this massive elaborate uh, shot list effectively. And yeah. this, this 600 page script for Lestrada is, is that in written form basically. Wow. Okay. I mean, otherwise, it's not going to be dialogue and, and your typical script because it's 600, you know, 600 minutes long then. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was, it was that detailed. Jesus um, Christ. So he was very, very passionate about this film. Yeah. He wrote a novel. Well, I mean, he, he wrote... I mean, it's like, uh, it's like Jodorowsky's Dune. Yeah, where it's, it's you essentially write, you write a Bible that, is, that will become your film. It's the film on paper. Yeah. In, you know, 100% of it. Well, that's fascinating. And I can definitely understand then why like Anthony Quinn and stuff, would see that and be like, oh, okay, yeah, knowing your other work and seeing how dedicated you are to telling this story. And it's a complete vision. Yeah, I am in. Yeah, before this, it's even started. This is so assured. Like, I know what we're, I'm getting into. I know what this is going to be. Let's do it. And it's really... I mean, who does that? Who, who writes 600 pages for a, a script in that data? Well, Miyazaki, Kubrick. Um, yeah. It's true Fellini. Art. True artist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So precise. Like, mm. Scorsese would be the same, you know? Yeah, or just very detailed and understanding and, like, knowing how to translate their vision to others to help them achieve it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I think this film is, is amazing. Uh, and we haven't really spoken yet about um, Anthony Quinn on the beach at the end. Yeah, the, the actual ending and the, the kind of arc, ending. yeah. The, the taking the, the character, the brute character, Zampano, Zampano, um, to his conclusion where he feels such shame he he caused a young girl to go insane through his brutish ways uh -huh. his violence he, he, ma he managed to take something that was so pure and innocent and loving and just destroy it and, and kill her indirectly yeah uh, and I think that moment where it's just silent and there's just the waves and he falls down and starts crying yeah it's so sad but again like just so beautiful and it gives you that hope that you finally understand and you theoretically like you're going to you now that you understand the implications of your actions you can be able to change and grow from that mm. it's wonderful it is amazing that character really is one of the best characters i've come across in a long time i think yeah and i know scorsese uh, he's totally in love with this film. Yeah, yeah, he's, uh, I mean, when we get to the Criterion edition, he's, he's all over it. Yeah. yeah. And he says that, I think it was, uh, 
Raging Bull. <laughs> yeah. Denaro's character is based off Zampano. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the same so, kind of it, It's approach. those type of characters that is, like, so controlled and driven by anger and, like, hatred to some degree. Violence. And then violence. And then having to learn and accept and let love in and as a thing to essentially help them change and grow and accept life. Mm. Yeah. It's a wonderful archetypal character that you don't often see done these days, especially done to this degree of, like, emotional resonance. Yeah. Mm. That's right. You don't actually see it too often, do you? I guess because it's not necessarily fun to watch. But, I mean, or it needs to be done in the right hands because, like we were, I was saying before, this is such a whimsical kind of melancholy but fun kind of movie. Should yeah. we think of other characters? Oh, Bronson. The film Bronson oh, yeah, kind yeah. of explores the same... Definitely, I could see that. Unchanging, violent personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'd like to see more of it. It is, as you say, it is can be a hard hard to watch, but uh, there's aspects of that. Doesn't agree. Yeah. research doesn't agree. Okay. I don't know. We'll wait and see after uh, the Joker. <laughs> see if that yeah. people are ready for just hate filled. But it's an aspect of of everybody. Mm. As I say, they're all archetypes of yeah. different aspects of, of every, everybody's personality, the fool and the child and the, yeah, it the is, violent yeah. brute. Yeah. Just reiterating at this point, it's taking the, the broad archetypes, inserting them into a neorealism and exploring those kind of classic mm. archetypal things. Tropes. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Story, art stuff. You know, the thing with the yeah. paper and the words. That's it. <laughs> Um, I don't know, is there anything else you want on this one? Or We kind of just powered through at the beginning there with a lot of the stuff. But Yeah, I mean, there's... Uh, uh, I think I'm done, but I would say that, as you say, the uh, listening to Sorsese talk about this film is, mm. is such a... Um, I think it's so critical to fully understanding Yeah, the oh, film. 100%. He's just so... He's just thought about so much and he's... He just can... Ex- he can just explain and... and uh, he just uses... Ironically, I can't find the words. <laughs> yeah, but he, he's he, just studied he exactly how to to express how, what this film is. He can break it down so simplistically, yeah. and he just gets it and understands it. He's he's seen it and adores it that much that yeah. And there's stuff on YouTube. You can go on YouTube now. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll link to it in the um in the episode description and things so people can kind of have a look and yeah. So it's well worth looking at. But do you want to hear a little bit of trivia on the film? Yep. All right. So the film was nominated for two Academy Awards at the 1957 Oscars, um, Best Original Screenplay, and it won Best Foreign Language Film. Uh, This was the first ever Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film. Oh, yeah. Mm, So that's kind of cool. It was nominated for two BAFTAs, uh, Best Film from Any Source and Best Foreign Actress for Julieta Messina. Uh, It was listed by the National Board of Reviews as the top foreign film, and it won the OCIC Award and the Silver Line at the 1954 Venice Film Festival. Yeah. Well, yes. It's, uh, it's excellent. We've done most... We've actually covered most of the stuff just in general conversation. But uh, this is something interesting. Apparently Walt Disney expressed interest in creating an animated feature based off this. Oh, sh- really? Yep. Um, yeah, it's specifically following Jessamina. Uh, and there was interest from doll manufacturers and confectionery companies and all of these things to use her name. And Fellini kind of never ended up doing it. And he said, like, if he had, he could have just lived off of this character for the rest of his life. It is very <laughs> Pinocchio. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the... it, it's almost too sad for Pinocchio, like, uh, for that Disney-esque kind of thing. Well, Pinocchio is kind of a sad story, man. True. 
There's a lot of the old Disney stuff that's really sad. And, well, that kind of makes quite sense. frankly fucked up. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that shit could have been real interesting then to see a possible Disney adaptation, like a cartoon adaptation of this. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, Fellini has admitted that each of the principal characters in the film represent the elements. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Zamp- uh, Zampano represents earth, uh, Jessamina represents water, and the fool represents air, apparently. So who's fire? Um, the motorbike. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> He'd only listed the three, so. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And uh, some super trivial trivia. Uh, Chris Christopherson based uh, his song Bobby McGee off of this film. Yeah, don't care about that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. That, that's, that's all it. I got for the trivia on that one. That's La Strada. Yeah, uh, we'll go into the actual Criterion edition itself. Uh, the film's still in print from Criterion as a two-disc DVD. And it comes with, uh, as we've said, a video introduction by Martin Scorsese. Uh, audio commentary by Peter Bondanella, uh, author of The Cinema of Federico Fellini. Federico Fellini's autobiography, a 2000 documentary originally broadcast on Italian television. Optional English dub soundtrack uh, featuring the voices of Anthony Quinn and Richard Basehart. So actually them dubbing their own oh, voices. That's great. As well as the usual booklet and essays the Criterion usually do. I'm glad that there's a proper dub there. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time. I don't know. Would you watch that? No, I just watch the original. Like, yeah, I'm fine with. I have no qualms watching subtitles and like watching um, Jubilee with the dubbed. Yeah, yeah. and they do a good job, but what you know? Yeah, I. It just it's not the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess unless you got anything else, that'll probably wrap us up for Fellini's La Strada. That's it. Hmm. Well, we'll be back in a fortnight's time with. I think it's going to be off. No, our second Cronenberg film. Oh, we're doing Cronenberg, Naked Lunch. We got Naked Lunch next time. Yeah, I've never seen it. Oh, wow, this is going to be interesting then. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, I've wanted to see it for ages. Mm. I've never got around to it, and then I realised it's it's kind of... Coming in. It's coming, coming up. up. I mean, this was three years ago, I realised it's coming up. <laughs> but it's still, yeah, fair enough. Like, oh, I'll just leave it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm intrigued to get your take on this one. It's um, it's a different. It's Cronenberg, but it's a different type of Cronenberg, I think. It's, I don't care what kind of Cronenberg it is. You just like Cronenberg. I love Cronenberg. So yeah. Much. All right. Well, I guess tune in in a fortnight's time for that. Uh, otherwise, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, we'll catch you for Naked Lunch, a film that has uh, at least two things wrong with its title. At least. That was a Simpsons reference. Oh. And you didn't pick up on it. I have a Simpsons tattoo. And you and missed that one. <laughs> awful yeah for shame shame (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah thanks for listening everyone we'll catch you later Uh, for this week's episode i'm chris and i'm tom see you next time